RPS powered by Seth. Welcome to the Weekly Review, a radio show where we mine for gold in the muddy landscapes of audiovisual popular culture. If you believe that pop will make you free, you're listening to the right show. This week, Ben Cardew, Marvai Verdu, with the technical mixing of Rob Roman, turn our attention to various examples of artistic artists who remix, refurbish, reinterpret and revamp all kinds of techniques, trends and tendencies of artistic language to create new paths of understanding and entertaining. Goat Girl's second album, On All Fours, has us smitten. Upon visiting the Picasso Museum in Barcelona for the first time and having recently watched Miles Davis' documentary Birth of Cool, I have a few impressions I'd like to share with you on two of the greatest uh, genie of the 20th century. We're pretty hooked on the Disney Plus Marvel comic universe TV show WandaVision. Gen Z keeps finding ways of surprising us with what they decide to reappropriate from the past for themselves. Rest easy because Mar won't be talking about another 90s trend revival. It's actually something from not that long ago that has the young'uns excited and distracted. I can't wait for them to reappropriate mid-century jazz where there was plenty of formidable talent and scarce room for mediocrity. Speaking of brilliant talent, sadly, we lost an incredible artist this week. British hyperpop producer Sophie tragically passed away last weekend in Greece while climbing to get a better view of the moon. The Scottish artist paved the way for a futuristic sounding pop that bended many barriers, bouncing back and forth from euphoric chants for a dance floor to architectural soundscapes that left room for the imagination to expand. Sophie's persona and presentation behind decks in clubs, on stages or exhibition spaces would command attention from start to finish and her non-gender, her gender non-conformity added to the mystique of an artist impossible to pin down into an identity you can't you can grasp. Sophie was fluid like the sounds on tracks like XTC Acid and it must have been an atomic experience to exist within their performance. We actually have an audio note from an anonymous source who witnessed Sophie's 2018 performance at Sonar Festival here in Barcelona and had this to say. I think it was 2018 when Sophie played live at Sonar. Uh, Sophie had done a show before at Sonar by Night. Um, it was a DJ setup. I think Kitty uh, did a PA then. Um, and this, this, this show that we're talking about was 2018 at Sonar by Day in the dome stage uh at the time of the show she the album had just dropped so it was the same day as the release and there was a lot of expectation but sophie was never really hyped it was more of a family thing it was like the people who knew the people who understood what they what sophie was trying to do uh really really understood it and fuck everybody else i guess was the, the feeling so, um, and I think, I don't know, I think this is the thing about Sophie's music and, and what they did, 
was that it was a celebration of the end of austerity. It was this thing of like, we know we're being marketed to, we know we live in some sort of techno dystopia, but we're going to take the things that we like, uh, do them for ourselves, uh, do them in the way that we want. And, um, and yeah, just celebrate that, just celebrate the fact that we can create our own identities, create our own musical identities based on what has happened in the past and what is to come. And, and, and just, fucking dance together also i mean the show okay so the show itself um was spectacular it was amazing i think it was the first time anybody had sort of seen the vision realized that well there were elements of stuff that had been uh, done in the past like the the female wrestlers on stage was obviously like a callback to dean blunt's early shows with hype williams um but there was uh there was just something like so unapologetically fucking brilliant about it. Uh, this idea of taking, you know, creating your own font, you know, like everyone wants to be sort of a graphic designer and an artist and a musician and a writer and an actor. And I think that's what Sophie was. Um, and yeah, if you asked, if you asked someone, um, you know, 20 years ago, whether the, perfect pop star of the beginning of the 20th century would be uh, celebrating kink in S&M. And um, uh, maybe people would say, actually no, people would probably say that that's the perfect artist for now. Ben, you were at that Sophie show in 2018 at Sonar, weren't you? What was your... It was spectacular. If I remember rightly, it was basically the day that Sophie's debut album, Oil of Every Pearl's Uninside, came out. So it was like already a big event. Um, And as our anonymous source said, I think it was the first time that that, that Sophie had brought that really big production. So no one quite knew what to expect. And what I remember really enjoying was that it was basically... um, a, a lot of things like so sounds great a lot of live electronic music is you know people kind of fiddling with laptops or, or that kind of thing and you might have a great light show or whatever but this was a brilliant performance and it was like there was quite a lot of theatre about it in a way because there were bits where uh, it seemed that uh, Sophie wasn't singing or whatever and what was important was the actual show on, on stage which I thought was a very interesting very interesting way to do it you know it wasn't about whatever kind of authenticity you would get from somebody actually like you know singing live it was about well this is a time that we're all together and we're going to celebrate the music in this way and people were like people were in tears people were losing it it was genuinely uh one of the an incredible reaction to the show uh and uh it was utterly brilliant Wow. I mean, uh, their Grammy-nominated album, uh, the one you've mentioned, Oil of Every Pearl's Uninsides, is a triumph and set a bar for how far out a pop album could go. Its accompanying remix album, for me, I think it's one of the great dance music albums of recent years. I mean, the rhythms and incessant drive, it's a fantastical uh, galactical journey beyond techno and captures that sound you enjoy at festivals that you don't hear in clubs. You know how electronics and techno have a a different vibe uh, outdoors and it's really hard to recreate indoors i don't know i just really found it interesting the 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 way it's 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 almost like a dj mix it's it's continuous and and it had the energy of the sets at sonar 
You see, this is what's interesting, that, that we can have very different reactions to what we like in one artist. Because I that first half of the remix album, which is like the DJ mix site, I didn't like as much. Like, I thought it was good. Like, no, nothing mm-hmm. r- wrong with it. But I thought it kind of ironed out a lot of the idiosyncrasies that you got in, in Sophie's music. And what I liked um, about their music was that it, it was sort of weird and kind of bent pop to its own demands. You know, it didn't sound exactly like any kind of other things. And I think these remixes sort of made it a, a little bit a little bit standard. I mean, the second half of the remix album I, I really like. Um, and in fact, what, one again, I said one of the, my favourite things about, about so was like how she not just moulded her pop to their own style, but other people's pop as well. So Sophie produced for Vince Staples, Let's Eat Grandma, Let's Eat Grandma, and Madonna to name mm. just three, which are incredibly different artists, and they all worked. Like Vin, they all worked, and they sounded like the work of Sophie, but without being, you know, one of those producers that goes in and goes, "No, I'm making my thing. I don't care." It was like that was a Madonna song made by Sophie. That was a Vince Staples song with the production of Sophie, which is absolutely brilliantly done. And I think, um, again. A, a lot's been written about the way Sophie was very different musically, um, and there was just an ambiguity about everything that Sophie did. Like at first, uh, they was uh, anonymous, you know, nobody knew who Sophie was, um, and uh, Sophie came out with a video in, in which, you know, basically you saw Sophie for the first time for It's Okay to Cry, and there was always that with that weird. Uh, ambiguity of like who who is it? What is what music is Sophie making? It was very very fluid and very. Uh, I know you like this word latex. <laughs> yes, this is something a term I've been reading a lot in when when reading about Sophie, uh, especially from writer Sasha Geffen. Uh, latex pop. What is latex pop? Mar, you're really good with all these modern terms that you read on internet. What, what do you understand if I say, oh, yes, Sophie is very latex pop? Okay, so that's my personal interpretation, but I understand latex latex pop as something Sophie came up with, like hyper pop and PC music and everything she really believed in. She had this vision way back in 2013 and, and like almost 10 years ago when she had she believed in this and, and she knew that pop didn't have limits and she could break them and, and make the music that, that she put out and and that you listen to now and, and it feels like it's it's out just today but it's almost I don't know maybe five years ago it was released mm. or ten years ago and that's what it makes it makes her such a great artist and, and su- it's been such a loss and one thing that I really liked about her that she was really open about being mainstream always like she said many times her goal was to be to be mainstream and I think she kind of reached that goal even though her life was super short because I, I knew about her because of her last album and and I it's not because I'm super into this scene of hyper pop or something but because she managed to push this into the mainstream charts mm. because um, she's worked with Charlie XCX and she's made possible the way for artists like Kim Petras or uh, 100 Gags and all these people that wouldn't be here in the mainstream music th- scene without Sophie, without Sophie making latex pop and hyper pop a thing for all of us, not only a very niche group of people. One thing I really like is I think um, a lot of hyper pop and I would say Sophie kind of 
came before Hyperpop, but that's uh, not particularly important. It's, it's very, very complicated, but a lot of Sophie's music was actually um, quite minimalist, you know, so it was weird and had weird kind of sounds and weird influences, but you could, like, pick out kind of one or two things that were happening, one or two really, really strong hooks, which is something I think you don't always get with, with people like Gex, you know, I really like their music, but you'd struggle to pick up. Well, that's the one bit I really like. Whereas with with Sophie's music, you're like oh that hook or that noise or that kind of thing. I've actually can, can I hit you with a theory? Yeah. So Sophie was Scottish, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, Ben. Yes. Latex, you're Ben. <laughs> and I think that's important because a lot of the PC music people um, are English. And Sophie came from Glasgow, and Glasgow is hard as nails. And in Glasgow, they're like hard techno, and they're like industrial music, mm-hmm. basically, because it's freezing and it's cold, mm-hmm. basically. And I see that as being quite important. I see, I see you know, a lot of people, uh, a, lot, a lot of things written about Sophie have said, you know, Scottish artists, but I don't think they've actually said what, what that means. I think Scotland, in a way, really moulded Sophie's music in a way that made Sophie's music different from, from PC music and from, from 100 Gex because of that like hard, hard techno sound that's so popular in Glasgow. Also, from what I, my understanding of the term latex pop is, and I can't, I always think of Arca, you know, with wearing latex gloves, also latex is a second skin, no, in, in many cases. So, so it's that whole concept of, of having a second skin to perform, you know, playing with your identity, being something else on stage than than you are when you go to buy your cookies at the supermarket, no? And there's a lot of sexuality in it, obviously. And and I just can't separate. I can't separate the image. Obviously, Sophie worked with Arca on Kick One. Uh, she feature. Uh, she, they feature on 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 Arca's album. They were. They, they've both been going through a very similar transformation so it's it's it, yeah it's all it's all, this is all very interesting and also overwhelming for me you know I'm, I'm, I'm happy that on this episode we're going to be talking about arctic monkeys because it's like okay when I get lost and I get a little bit dizzy out in the ocean of so many trends and 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 new ways of understanding what youth is today I need a solid rock <laughs> to hold on to for a minute to like catch my breath but this kind of this is what this this episode is very much not the solid rock episode. Everything's fluid yeah. and everything's being remixed and changed in this episode. So that's what we've got to look forward to. Mar, give me give me a rock to hold on to. <laughs> <laughs> something I understand. <laughs> okay, it's also something kind of new. But let me go back to to the start. Okay, so I I am the one supposed to come here and bring these um, fresh things from the young people on the internet. What are the young people up to these days? I I represent yes, youth, you right? are our young persons correspondent. Exactly. I, I love it. I I don't want that to change. I want to be the, the young representative. But this week or last week, exactly, I I discovered I'm a fraud and what? that I'm what? you're not a fraud. I am. I am. It turns out I'm not young, so I I do not manage. I do not have the requirements to have this job to be the, the young person of the table. So <laughs> fire me because apparently I've well, I've been seeing um, lots of. Um, Trends of romanticizing the 90s and 
romanticizing the 2000s and the Y2K era. We all want to dress like Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan when they went out to party, blah, blah, blah. We get that, right? I, I can talk about that. I can see that we, the young people on the internet, are romanticizing all these eras from the past and stuff. And, and that's cool because uh, I used to be like, well, I was a toddler when that was happening. So to me, that is something I can look up to and, and imagine how cool it was to be young in that era. Well, now the teens are glamorizing my adolescence, the, the adolescence that I lived in 2014. And they call it not Y2K or not the 90s. They call it 2014 Tumblr era. And and it's a thing now. They make TikToks and, and they put all these images that are engraved in my brain forever from my Tumblr. And say, imagine being a teen when 2014 was around. Hang on, hang on a second. I've got to pause that. Right. What was so good about 2014 in their mind? What's... I don't know. <laughs> and, and Well, I kind of understand that romanticizing is just having no clue what was going around on that time like I have no clue what was going around in the 90s I just get an idea of from the images I, I have on the internet so I guess that's what's happening with the teens today and and, and it makes me have a, um, a crisis a, like a quarter life crisis because I, I, I'm not prepared yet to see my like seven five years ago seven years ago be something considered old and that you can romanticize because you have no idea what was going on you just have the a few images on the internet and think oh that's cool um tumblr whatever that was it was cool but this is unbelievable normally things that get uh revived it's at 20 year stretches you know it's like the 60s uh or even 30 i think like the the 50s were revived in the 80s and the 60s and the 90s that kind of thing but Mm -hmm. seven years ago was revived seven years ago there was like this well i was researching this like it's not possible what's happening (laughs) and and there was this doctor or scientist or whoever it was um, that said, yeah, um, nostalgia works in this 20-year cycle, but now it doesn't anymore because 20 years since the life pace that we're living is too much, we just do it faster and faster and faster. And faster means yeah. <laughs> we have nostalgia for things that were happening in 2014 which means that I'm old so here <laughs> oh, no we are way. What, well, then what have Ben and I oh, Jesus yeah I was about to say you wouldn't know what life was like in the 90s hey <laughs> yeah, you, we, uh... my god That's we're like wise life. men from like the prehistoric age I need nostalgia to be a span of 20 years again because I, I want to be the young person on the table I, and I, I guess you also want to be not that that old so we are on this crisis together I read a comment that said if you were on Tumblr in 2013 2014 you should qualify for a senior discount oh <laughs> my god but you know what you know what people who say that kind of thing like the, people are like oh I'm so young oh check me out they are heading for a four well, frankly because like in 10 years people like oh people who use tiktok in 2021 yes, that's yeah, what i'm waiting for pass. that's what i'm waiting yes. for ah! I'm really so happy. well since i guess that for you is exactly 2014 tumblr is such a specific subculture like it's not like saying the 90s or the 2000s and everybody knows what's what that is about i feel like saying 2014 tumblr is such a niche period of time and a group of people that was on a specific part of the internet that many people including young people who are 
try and recreate it might be confused by it. And I feel like it's up to me, an OG member of that era, to make an explanation of what you need if you really, really want to embrace this era and have a spot-on aesthetic of 2014 Tumblr. Oh, thank you, please. Y yeah, yeah, we want to know. I, I, I had a Tumblr. Do you want to know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that will come up. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to start like a list so you can write it down. And, and okay, and okay, right. I'll go back to it and we will... Can I write it on a pen or is that too old, man? Do I need <laughs> to write it in... Old, like but maybe it's like, oh, I'm so retro. I, okay. I write with a pen now. Um, but if we all now take notes from this list and we start dressing like 2014 Tumblr kids, we might look young again. So that's maybe a, a chance for us to be young again. Whatever. First of all, if you want to be a Tumblr kid, it is crucial that you develop a music superiority <laughs> complex. <laughs> Tick. <laughs> Most of us already have one, so that's done. Um, you have to believe your music taste is exquisite. It's better than anybody else, even though deep down you know it's just like any other kid on Tumblr. It's listening exactly the same playlist as you're listening to, but you, you don't pay attention to that thought. And you think, yes, I'm the queen of indie pop, I'm indie pop itself, and, and I'm so special, I'm so quirky, nobody's like me. So if you have that, you're on the good path to become a Tumblr kid. And, and work at Primavera Sound. <laughs> <laughs> basically, basically, oh my god. I'm fulfilling my dreams. Um, if you want to be respected more than... You have to have the music superiority complex, but you also have to have a vinyl player. What else would you play your music on? Not on Spotify. Who listens to Spotify when you can listen to a vinyl? It sounds so much better. The sound quality is so different. And not because you only want to post pictures of it on your blog. It's because you know so much about music. You know what? I wrote about this for Rock Deluxe. Uh, this is actually a, a commercial truth. They are now selling uh, vintage, uh, really high quality, high fidelity record players at a very big chain of uh, home furniture. I'm not going to say the brand, but it's one of the biggest. It's everywhere in the world. And I was amazed. They have. They even sell vinyls. Like uh, they have a, a record collect, a record sale apart um, section on their website, and it's like, whoa. So yeah, maybe they, they know that the Tumblr kids were going to <laughs> yeah, purchase yeah, yeah, yeah. all of the vinyls. Hang on, hang on, quick question: Do you have a record player, your own? I do not. That don't come for no, me. I'm, I was a I was not even a full-on Tumblr kid. I was like a wannabe Tumblr kid. I was like, oh my god, I wish I had a, a vinyl player and I would have all these vinyls. But I don't have a job yet. So. If you want to go one further. You know, the highest fidelity of recording sound is actually tape, but big but those big real tapes, you know. That. <laughs> Tumblr kids, we don't actually care about the actual sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get we with just want to make a picture. <laughs> What's aesthetic, more aesthetic than a vinyl? You want that big old rectangle, whatever, square, and make a picture of it. And you know which is the first vinyl you're going to have to buy. The AM by Arctic Monkeys. That is now your anthem. You will not listen to anything else for weeks. You will have engraved every single song and every single live performance with Alex Turner in different haircuts. Got ya, got ya. <laughs> Arctic Monkeys AM record player. AM. And if you, if you want to go a step even more 
into the Tumblr kit thing, you can even tattoo your <laughs> go to a tattoo place and and tattoo yourself the cover of of the vinyl. You know that I am the squiggle yeah, yeah, yeah. like radio frequency. Yeah. Do you know that, people who've done this? Yes, because I reblogged all of the the pictures. Ah. So that's commitment. We we don't that's not a requirement, but you can do that. And and you can then go and buy pure heroin by Lord that's also your anthem. And you have to admire all these people who are indie pop rock themselves. You have to love Lana Del Rey. You have to love Sky Ferreira, even though she has not put out anything in ages. You don't care. Cage the Elephant, they're, they're your thing. The Neighborhood, amazing. Listening sweater weather 24-7. You get it. You have the music taste exactly what you're going to have to listen to. You cannot move from these prefaces and... and that's your part of your personality, but not all. It's not all music taste. You also have to have addressing strict rules that you have to follow. Oh. Which is having everything and anything American apparel. But they don't even exist anymore. Uh, that's your problem, not <laughs> yeah. mine. <laughs> you want to be a Tumblr kid, you find your way to have American apparel. You need to get more committed to, the, to being a Tumblr kid. Who cares if they don't exist? You, I yeah. have vintage American apparel. I <laughs> still have my shirts even and Even more points, because vintage is also, also very important. You have to have the tennis skirt, especially the, the black and the white at least, and then you can move up to part, patterns. And you will pair anything that you're wearing with your Dr. Martins, of course. And that's fashion, high fashion. Uh-huh. So from there, you can, you have to have idols and people you look up to, apart from the singers we just said. You have to have a de- de- devoted love for Alexa Chang and all of the British It Girl squads that were around. You have to reblog any street-style photo that there is of her. And since now this woman is your god, you have to read her Bible, which is It by Alexa Chang. Wait a minute. So this Alexa Chang was has been huge for in, in this whole, you know, she was the it girl, Alex Turner's exactly. girlfriend for a long time. I actually had uh, had a hamburger with them sat behind me <gasps> in uh, Palm Springs. Uh, I, I, I sound so fancy when I say that. I, I don't want to one-up you, but I've met Alexa Chang. No, nice yeah, but I have. Yeah. Oh my God, man, I'm nervous <laughs> now to be mm. sitting <laughs> next to you. I'm pretty 2014 Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but eating a burger the at the Ace Motel next to Alexa oh and God. Alex Turner while Bonnie Iver was on the other side okay. waiting to perform with Kanye West <laughs> at Coachella. Um, that is one of my moments. Thank you. Sorry. So is she still, so even b- beyond this Tumblr 2014, is Alexa Chung still the it girl that she's always been? Uh, uh, for me, she is because I'm a, I'm just a devotee for her and anything she does is amazing. But I don't know if you would ask a 17-year-old or a, any other teen that they would say they admire Alexa, but Who she will always have a place in exactly. someone's heart. She, she, she the was generation. of a time and a place. So who is the new Alexa Chung, in your opinion? Mm, I think these influencers like Devon Lee Carlson, who is dating the one on the neighborhood, and but they don't... Well, Alexa didn't have a thing either. She was just an it girl. So there, you can find your it girls on, on Instagram, basically, so... Emma Chamberlain. Yeah, but see that no, you see Alexa they, Chung was beyond yeah, social yeah, media. She, she was on magazines. She had a TV show. You know, she was a proper. She had a, yeah. 
a book that we all bought and took pictures of because it, it was actually really cute. What and about? Remember the pink book oh, with yeah. an eye. And yeah, it was yeah. So pretty. What about the Olsen twins? Because before Alexa, But there was the Olsen twins. That's uh, the 90s trend. That uh, when we were on Tumblr, we also had this 90s romanticization. Romanticization. But we, the people that we had on the moment was Alexa Chang, the Olsen twins. Well, yeah, because they had that era where they were so fashionable and they were always smoking cigarettes outside at the <laughs> NYU and stuff. So that was cool too. But no, no one like Alexa. Also, I feel like British eat girls were better than than an American. Ah, interesting. Why? Yeah, I don't know, but if you were. Georgia May Jagger or Suki Waterhouse or uh, is it that her name? Yeah, I think so. Or Alexa Chang, you, you didn't have to do anything. You were already the moment. Well, you, you we we could argue that the greatest influencer before, you know, even though it girls have always been a thing since the 50s, the 60s, you know, you had uh, Twiggy, uh, hmm. London girl, uh, Princess Di. Princess Diana, you know, she left such an influence on how to do, how to be an influencer, you know, walking through landmines and holding back children and being super fashionable at the same time. I think she, she, she set the bar. So I think I For agree Alexa with you. Chunk, to be Alexa <laughs> Chang. Continue, please. Okay. So Thunder, 2014. Yes. We have the music, we have the outfit. You don't really need a personality because you have a... Um, <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Because I really don't have one. Because you have this music superiority complex that makes up for it and you have Dr. Martin. Who cares about your personality? <laughs> Not really anyone. So if you just watch every single episode of British TV series Skins and act like Effie Stoneham of your... Like the Effie Stoneham of your town, you have everything done. There's nothing else to cover. You are... A Tumblr kid to the T, everything. There's no one that can say you're not. You will be the most popular kid on Tumblr and on your town and everywhere. And if you want to get a fake plan from IKEA or Tiny Cactuses from there, you you now will be the king of everything because for some reason we were also obsessed with tiny plants. Tiny <laughs> cactus. <laughs> yeah. I just remembered and I, I went to my Tumblr and I, and I had to see what I reblogged and I reblogged lots of, of plants and, and it fit the aesthetic for some reason. I feel like I've got cactus, I've got the record player, I've got all this stuff in my house. Um, I feel like I've done it without realizing. Because you you are the true Tumblr kid. So I have no personality. Trying. I'm just like a, a person who's done what I've been told by what the internet said was cool. No, no, you were there first. Yeah, yeah but you, no, I'm starting, I'm having a bit of a breakdown now. I'm thinking, I'm questioning, why do I have cactus at home? Why do I have, why... <laughs> Why haven't I watched Skins? What's going on in yeah, my yeah, life? Yeah, I didn't watch Skins. You watched Skins, didn't you? Because you I've, were living. I've seen an episode, but yeah. <gasps> Ben, I thought you would be like, you could say the dialogues of every single character because I assume every British person knows Skins. No, I, I know of it. It was a big sensation, but it was a bit. And you it... haven't watched it? No, sorry. Oh my god. Because all I know from Skins was because I read the New Musical Express was it had a lot of uh, it had a very good musical soundtrack of the bands that were playing at the time, mm -hmm. like the bands that were the young bands that were starting no like the kooks or yeah. razor light all that kind of stuff uh so what, what, what is it fair to say that skins was the british the oc remember how yeah, the oc made yeah, a indie thousand percent. Rock? and it, and it feed super good the tumblr aesthetic because the oc is preppier and we were not into preppy stuff we were 
into dark goth lolita thing and and effie stunham was the queen of that what was effie who was what was she like uh, de describe her character it's for me super problematic super chaotic <laughs> super drugs um abuse and everything you would don't want your kid to watch on a tv show and i watched it like in a sitting <laughs> like the whole season they're in high school doing drugs having sex in high school having lots of affairs among them and dying from so all, dying all yeah they, one, one of them effie almost kills one of the girls so, so it's like a precursor to euphoria yeah basically basically people are saying that euphoria is the new skins Oh. So, yeah. So, Martin, in, in your valued opinion, mm -hmm. who's more 2014 Tumblr, me or Johan? Oh my God, but you have the British essence. And Johan really does tick all the, the boxes without even really trying. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so I don't know how to maybe, take this. Maybe it's a that. <laughs> I'm going to have to look at 2014 Tumblr. So, if I Google 2014 Tumblr, am I just going to. What, am I going to get loads of tumblers that are... No, not really, because I most of them maybe are, like, not expired, but maybe they don't even pop up. But I, I can I can look up for you a few tumblers. Kylie Jenner was the queen of Tumblr. If it, it, mo Most people don't know that, but she w used to be famous because her Tumblr was very famous. It's when, when she had that go goth era and she had the, mm. the tight um, hair dyed purple or something Kylie or Kendall Ky Kylie, Kylie Kylie really Kendall was like oh she's a supermodel and Kylie has a Tumblr ah. <laughs> and people made fun of her and look who won in the <laughs> end yeah. yeah the Tumblr kid exactly we always win <laughs> well all jokes aside I'm super happy that Tumblr is back again because I can wear my tennis skirt I'm actually wearing my tennis skirt right now and my Dr. Martin <laughs> and <laughs> yes <yeah>, true um <laughs> But I'm also gl glad that we are romanticizing the superficial stuff and, and the beautiful upper layer of Tumblr and not the darkest part that there was. Then. And I feel like maybe that's in, in each era, in the 90s and in the 2000s as well. But there, there was a very dark stuff, um, triggering eating disorders, self-harm, mental disorder. It was a very bad place for teens to be... Um, unsupervised most of the time but we we survived most of us so we're here and I'm happy it's back and we only have it back for the tennis skirts and the indie pop band so yay for that well I'm happy because it means that indie may be returning and that's another rock I can cling on to baby really hurt me crying in the taxi he don't want to know me says he made the big mistake of dancing in my store Says it was poison So I guess I'll go home Into the arms of the girl that I love The only love of young fashionable British people I reckon Go Girl are quite skins not that I've watched much skins but Go Girl are basically uh, from South London which is very skins right isn't it um, and they're basically a post-punk uh, band formed of uh, Clotty Cream LED Rosie Bones and uh, Holy Hole 
Um, I interviewed I interviewed two of them and I didn't know whether to use their real names or these pseudonyms so I went for these pseudonyms and it was a bit embarrassing but um, <laughs> their new album uh, was produced by Dan Carey who's done uh, Franz Ferdinand Kate Tempest and lots and lots of bands that Johan likes uh, it was produced in early 2020 and it sees them sort of blossom into new styles with jazzy chords sci-fi synths and the distinct air of broadcast what yeah, the fact that they're associated with through Dan Carey and the whole Brixton windmill scene, like many bands who've recorded for Dan Carey's label Speedy Wonderground, does them no harm. No, because the album skips over numerous musical ideas, patterns and styles without ever mismatching. I liked it. Well, I think <clears throat> the, the thing I like about them is they kind of recognisably come from the same place as those kind of Speedy Wonderground bands. Um, uh, you know, kind Squid, of uh, ex- yeah, New Road. And if you listen to their first album, it's quite a lot like that. It's quite punky and thrashy. But this new album, I think they've kind of expanded from that without kind of um, losing what made them so good in the first place. I mean, I've seen some people kind of complaining a bit. You know, they used to be really raw and fabulous. Now, what are they doing, making this this sort of weird jazzy pop music? But jazzy pop music is frankly what I'm all about, and I I think it's a brilliant album. I think it's um, a big step on from their first one. Um, Ma, what did you reckon? I love them. I discovered because of you, and I am already obsessed. I listened to the whole album, and I stalked their Instagram, and I want them to be friends with me. I, I'm obsessed with them, the aesthetic they have, and, and I don't know, they look like so much fun, and I love their music, and it, it makes it's like feel-good music, like when you're maybe by yourself in your room doing kind of nothing, and, and there's on the background playing not playing live, but playing on your on your computer or whatever. And I, I don't know, it. I, I really like them and I'm glad I discovered them. One thing I find very interesting about them is they're, um, they're all young um, and, you know, you'd think being a young person in a band in London must be the most fabulous thing in the world. But actually, I, I get the impression they, they kind of um, quite accurately portray what it's like to be young and how it isn't all great you know you get a lot of bands who are like yeah it's, it's great being young you get to kind of run around and thrash around and do these kind of things but actually they're um, they, ha- they have songs about anxiety like there's a song called Anxiety Feels um, which is basically when their guitarist is talking about uh, having panic attacks and whether to take anti-anxiety medication um, and that, that sort of slight uncertainty um, comes in and I think um, obviously I'm kind of far from from being a young person but I can imagine that it is a bit like that you know in one way it's wonderful to be young and have all this kind of possibility and all the kind of you know the world out ahead of you but it's quite it's quite difficult you know a lot of young people do have problems with um, anxiety and kind of things like that which I thought was uh, very interesting yeah I mean they've got that song PTST that has this like twee vibe with some horns on it that make it sound like an ideal midday song right a song for pottering around and it's astounding because the song was actually inspired by a microaggression Rosie suffered while on a ferry apparently a man poured hot tea over her while she was playing a video game on her phone and the guy just walked away she even had to go to the Burns unit and cancel a few booked shows they had so you know the song isn't exactly rage and fury and sound but it's a musical example of the kind of shit women have to put up with in ordinary circumstances tolerating toxic masculinity coming in from all corners and shrugging it all off like dandruff because it's just business as usual well that's a lot of power i I was gonna say i mean it doesn't exactly you say it's not exactly rage and fury but sometimes i find that kind of uh 
projecting rage and fury in that subtle way is almost stronger, you know, because yeah. at the start it's like, oh, well, this is all nice and you cannot pay much attention to it and it's like, you know, very dreamy. And then you get down to what it's actually about, you're like, oh, uh, it's really, really, really kind of strong. Yeah. Um, i got to say as well, I really like, there's a song um, called They Bite On You, which is about having scabies. Oh, yeah. Are, what are scabies? Like when you get scabs? Uh, it's like some kind of skin disease, I think. And you go kind of, it, it's it's really nasty. And I kind of like the honesty. It's like that's such an un-rock and roll uh, uh, subject to sing about. And I thought they did that very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, then there's uh, one that I, uh, Badi, Bad, Badi Baba, it's pure stereo lab, you know, with that whole cosmic retro synths and stuff that goes on. And what's amazing is they sw- they all switched instruments to play on that track. And it's followed by mostly instrumental. Uh, it, th- that song is followed by the mostly instrumental jazz in the supermarket, which has a few vocal onomatopoeias. Now, if I were in a record store, like you know the big ones, like Amoeba in LA or other music in New York, and this was playing, I'd have a moment like when when they play the Beta Band in High Fidelity, the movie based on the Nick Hornby book, where everyone snaps out of the trance of looking through records and goes over to the counter to ask, what is this? I need to have it. And Rosie Jones said that the title came from this idea of jazz where it's meant to be complex and you're all virtuosos, but in the supermarket, because it's what they they thought the synth sounded like. Uh, it sounded like a supermarket uh, supermarket checkout, like the bleep, bleep, bleep. Can I, can I just uh, interrupt there? I, I asked them about this because it's probably my favourite song on the album. I was like, I, I love the, the, the song and it's called, why is it called Supermarket Jazz? And they sort of basically laughed and we don't really think about our titles very much. So I don't know, I don't know if that's something they've come with later or if they just didn't want to give me the kind of gossip, but you know. Uh, that, well, that th- th- this is what I what I perceive of them. Like they seem to be having a laugh, not taking it all too seriously. But sometimes they will share a thought, you know, a deep thought or something that does happen to them. Like what what Rosie said about the her that incident on, on the ferry. Uh, Sad cowboy, for instance, reminds me of the band Texas. <laughs> it could have been sung by Charlene Spiteri, but then it has a lovely slow disco Balearic type of synth beat ushering it out that works like mayonnaise on french fries. And I- then it goes all house, there's like these house stabs, you're like, what's going yeah. on here? <laughs> it's like, you, I'm waiting for the remix, you know, and it, you can just sense how much fun they have throwing good ideas and good execution at these songs. You know, it's like a proper celebration of creativity. As you say, on the first album, it was more punky. They were probably just getting used to learning to play together and 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 finishing songs. But now it's like, look, look, we can do so much more. This is a very good testament of it. This also, album. Also, it's a very political album. Well, th- there are there are sort of political moments. Basically, I don't know if you have you did you go back and listen to their first album? I can't say I did. Mark? Yeah. Mm, no, I just stuck to the last one. Well, on their on their um, first album. Uh, there's a very political song called uh, Burn the Stake, which is basically about the Conservative Party and how utterly terrible they are. Um, but uh, Where Do We Go, which is on the new album, is is apparently about uh, Boris Johnson, and it imagines dissecting Boris Johnson and all the filth that would come out, basically. Um, and it's, it's quite good, because, again... You kind of wouldn't get that, you know, and I like the fact that bands are singing about this and singing about this in this like delightfully woozy pop song. I, I've got to say, I asked them about it when, when I did this interview, which you can hear on Radio Primera Sound. You can find it where, wherever. Our presents, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, they uh, signed their uh, record deal on the day uh, that the Brexit vote, well, the Brexit vote was was announced. 
And I remember asking them what on earth it was like, you know, because that was not a happy day for British people. Or, well, I mean, for some it was, but you know, for, for many it wasn't. Um, and what it was like, you know, signing a record contract on that day. And they're like, yeah, we also played a gig. Can you imagine that? What it's like playing a gig? You just got like, everyone's there like, oh, God, this is awful. What, what? <laughs> the mood must have been really weird on the gig, right? Like the audience and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm trying to have fun, but I'm so concerned about what is happening. <laughs> Well, they, they said that basically they, they, they were like, okay, we just got to do it. And actually they got into, you know, the, the sheer fury they, they felt came out. Um, and the drum was like, I just wanted to hit stuff. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But see, this is how, this is what I like about them being tagged as a post-punk band. Because they're not the sort of shouty, um, contestatarian post-punk like they're like shame or or idols or stuff where it's you know pure fury this is much more it's an intellectual kind of rage no and they'll take stabs at the political situation they'll put it into songs but sometimes you won't even realize yeah and, and contestatarian is an amazing word Did you that just, just made that? i just <laughs> made that, that up nice let, let's uh let, let's have it contestatarian good 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 Cre creating as we go along just like goat girl you see this i hope they keep it together long enough to record many albums because as a collection of musicians they have a lot of great ideas and i like how they channel their anxieties fears and desires into songs with no barriers holding them back In one week, I exposed myself to the brilliance of Miles Davis and Pablo Picasso. It's a travesty it's taken me this long to visit his museum, Picasso's, but before COVID, the queues were overwhelmingly long, and even though the museum probably did its best to regulate the capacity of people in its shifts, I hate the feeling of having to rush because there are people waiting outside. The Picasso Museum in the Bourne neighborhood's Calle Moncada is currently hosting a temporary exhibition of his sketchbooks when he was still a young art student, copying Velázquez paintings in Madrid's Prado Museum to understand the master's technique. These are the sketches of a teenager that are just as admirable as his signature works. His replica of one of Velázquez's portraits is virtuous because it's not an exact copy, since he interprets it and adds a different expression to the subject. So while the light and composition is loyal to the original, he can't resist seeing and painting the subject his own way. This got me thinking about sampling or doing covers that elevate the original, right? So after seeing his sketches and paintings from his formative years in Madrid, you continue into the permanent exhibition to, get to, to grasp the brilliance of his genius. He was a sponge. He painted everything and copied everyone, especially El Greco, Toulouse-Lautrec. This was a time when artists weren't overtly subjected to other people's work like we are nowadays through media. Whenever he visited museums and art exhibitions, he would understand and paint his version of what he saw. His famous quote, Lesser artists borrow, great artists steal, is all too evident from observing his evolution. By the time you get to his cubism and his version of Velázquez Meninas, you need to take a seat. 
It is such a flabbergasting experience to see in an hour and a half how decades of work become such an epic ode to what a person was capable of saying with art. Sometimes we take for granted that Picasso is the greatest artist of the 20th century because everyone says it so much. You know, everyone, every, even the people who stormed the Capitol in the US the other day probably know that Picasso is some artist, right? <laughs> If you say, name me an artist, probably nine people out of ten will say Picasso off the top of their head. And many people like myself will commit the mistake of not investing time in Picasso because he is considered mainstream. It's so obvious that we'd rather spend time looking for lesser known stuff out there in the underground. But I came here today to tell you that there is still a lot to learn and enjoy from Pablo Picasso. Uh, the museum opened in 1963, uh, the, the, the Picasso Museum in Barcelona, when Spain was still under Franco's fascist dictatorship and whom Picasso heavily opposed uh, from his comfort in France. In fact, it opened under the name of his estate manager and lifelong friend Jaume Sabartes as the Sabartes Collection. Picasso personally demanded the government officials not be invited to the opening of the museum, which must have been an interesting story because usually no one can deny access to state officials in a, dicta in a dictatorship, right? But somehow they got around it and inaugurated without the presence of fascist state government officials. And I am not the first, nor will I be the last, to find that Picasso's techniques of collage and blueprints to the... Uh, yeah, I won't find... <laughs> I read that wrong, sorry. I won't be the first in finding similarities in the creation of hip-hop. It ain't hard to tell. I'm the new Jean-Michel. Surrounded by Warhols, my whole team ball. Twin Bugattis outside the Art Basel. Anyway, I can see how Picasso's artistic grandeur gives hip-hop hip -hop a lot of his license when they're compared. Regardless of the humble circumstances that led hip-hop musicians to build their beats, rhythms and melodies by recycling other people's music a lot of the time, there is a celebration of all that was once great and refreshed for new purposes. Like Picasso, they kept the conversation going through art. They make sure people don't forget what came before without dwelling in nostalgia. Someone else who dealt in an art form that also gave hip-hop its roots was Miles Davis, the man Duke Ellington famously called the Picasso of jazz. His documentary on Netflix, Miles Davis, The Birth of Cool, is a retrospect on the musician, touching on many of his landmark albums and his eras, as well as his troubles with addiction and how they poisoned him into becoming a very unlikable person. His greatest muse, his wife Frances Taylor Davis, features in the documentary, offering her testimonies of life with Miles. It was her who dragged him along to a flamenco concert when they were on holiday in Barcelona, which inspired him to record Sketches from Spain, an album where he covers part of Concierto de Aranjuez in his unique style. Davis, who plays flughorn and later trumpet, attempting to connect various settings musically, commented this at, re at rehearsal. The thing I have to do now is make things connect, make them mean something in what I, in, in what I play around it. Davis thought the concerto's adagio melody was so strong that the softer you play it, 
the stronger it gets. And the stronger you play it, the weaker it gets. That was my, my shit Miles Davis impersonation. I, I didn't know he was Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> he had that voice of a, from, a, from a laryngitis operation, which went wrong because he wouldn't stop talking and yelling at, at record label executives, apparently. But, you know, that's the Miles voice. Um, that album, Sketches from Spain, is now considered exemplary of what composer Gunther Schuller referred to as third stream, a music genre that is a fusion of jazz and classical music, where improvisation is a vital component and which Davis excelled at. Are, are you guys well versed in... in do you hear a lot of jazz at your household, Mar? Because I know your your parents listen to classical music from something you said. Not really. Like jazz is is so difficult to get into. But uh, if I w- was to get into it, I would do it with Miles Davis, obviously, because it's the most known name of jazz. It's a good starting point. And the thing, you see, the problem I I had. At your age, Mar, <laughs> way before Tumblr 2014, <laughs> was that jazz in Spain was always very old. It was always, it always looked very old. Every time you'd switch on Spanish uh, national TV, they'd play jazz in, in the late hours. And it was always these old guys, really old guys, really badly dressed, you know, playing jazz properly, you know, playing very academically. And you'd go to the jazz festivals and it was, and, you know, legends like Chick Corea or, Jarrett and stuff, you know, they'd come to San Sebastian, Madrid, Barcelona, and uh, you know, they didn't look as great as when they were young in those incredible tailored suits and stuff. You know, you look at those old covers, and it's like, wow, when jazz was the hippest thing in the 50s, and here it was, it, it didn't look, there was no good mood around it. You know, there wasn't like, what is this? You know, and it, it, it it was something that stopped, it kind of prevented you from enjoying the purity of the music. But when you hear the recorded stuff and you read the stories around it and you, you lock into it, wow, it, you, all of a sudden you start to feel the, the wonder, right? This is what happened to me watching the, the documentary. At one point, it shows what a fantastic experience it was for Miles to play in Paris and coincide with Picasso and all the artists of that time. Back in the US, segregation was still the norm and although Davis was already an uprising star in the jazz world, admired by his contemporaries, he was treated as a second-class citizen all over the country. When he arrived in Paris for the first time in 1949, he was 22 years old and and he was there to perform at the first Paris International Jazz Festival, the first one since World War II ended. Imagine that combination, right? This handsome and ferociously talented American Negro who was immaculately immaculately dressed in his tailored suits, playing to a euphoric crowd who was celebrating life four years after a devastating war and Nazi occupation. You know, Parisians seem to have had a fond relationship with Americans at that time because they probably saw them as, you know, saviors, allies, you know, after they stepped in to aid uh, the allies against Hitler. So all of a sudden there's this, ah, this feeling of... I can already sense that we're going to be going through something. Okay, <laughs> all the distance, right? But after this pandemic, I hope we get a version of a young Miles Davis, you know, coming to save the day and putting us all together in a room or at a festival or whatever to, to celebrate life in this way. You know, this is, going back to Miles, this is no ordinary American. This was 22-year-old Miles Davis. Miles before heroin. Miles being treated like a foreign prince. He must have been grinning at all that refined Parisian beauty that his face ached. And it was, here's the little cotilleo. 
It was Boris Vian who introduced Miles Davis to Picasso and Jean-Paul Sartre. The group would sit together in hotels, cafes and clubs in the Saint-Germain district, using a mixture of broken French, broken English and sign language to communicate. This blows my mind, imagining a time and place in the world where those two, where all those geniuses met and hung out. And, you know, we tend to imagine or uh, that they were probably talking about technique and what makes great art. In reality, they probably recommended where to eat great steak tartare, you know. Um, these are men who performed great work throughout their entire lives. They were blessed with talent and went beyond the stratosphere, leaving behind a legacy of work, works of art. Sadly, they weren't perfect human beings and were also infamous for very toxic and abusive behavior, especially to the women in their lives. In the same documentary, Francis opens up about the first time he struck her. Uh, in a fit of jealous rage after she commented on how good-looking Quincy Jones was. Inexcusable behavior that tarnishes the legacy. If we're going to talk about the grandeur of his work, his, his genius as a human being, let us not forget the flaws. She does also tell of how Miles ordered his label to put her on the cover of some of his records because he wanted the beauty of black women to be represented, something rare in the early 60s. As English trumpeter Ian Carr wrote in... Miles Davis, The Ultimate Biography, jazz is a very new music and perhaps Davis's greatest feat was to have imposed a sustained spirit of inquiry, always in the pursuit of art, never mere exper experimentation for its own sake. Sadly, that's all the time we have for today. I rambled on a bit there in the last part and left no room for us to talk about One Division, but we will talk about it next week. When Where we one more episode has passed. Exactly. That's the way we can look at it. And we did kind of talk about the Olsen twins. So, you know, yeah. Elizabeth Olsen is the, sister, the younger sister of the two twins. And uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed this other wonderful episode of The Weekly Review. Check Tumblr 2014. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.